I almost feel like I should be drunk for this one. Because <laughs> this is not my favorite story by any means. It's not even close. And I, I, I gave it a go again yesterday. And, I, you know, there are things I like about it, but I, I, I just feel like it may have been a missed opportunity in some ways. Um, I'll explain what I mean. Anyway, um, this is uh, Shambles Constant. You're listening to Somewhere in the Hooniverse. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, today I'm talking about The Edge of Destruction, which is the, or the third story of the first season of Doctor Who from the Hartnell era. Um, it's a two-parter. So uh, I, think, I think the deal was that there were just these two extra episodes they had and they needed to fill them quickly with the set that they had on hand, the, you know, props they had on hand and, uh, you know, with just the main cast. So the script was written hurriedly by uh, David Whitaker. And I can respect that. I can understand, you know, I know that, you know, there are times on any TV show where, where things like that are, are bound to happen, especially back then when they, they had these long seasons of like, you know, 40, 50 episodes or whatever it was, you know, and there, there might be a little gap in the schedule that you need to quickly figure out a way and you either tack on extra episodes to a longer story or you work out something else and they worked out something else for this. Um, the two, the, two, the two episodes in the story are called The Edge of Destruction and The Brink of Disaster. Which is pretty much it's pretty much the same, you know. You could say the edge of disaster and the brink of destruction. You know, it's exactly the same kind of thing. So, um, but uh, David Whitaker was a great writer. Um, he he wrote some other stories that that uh, went really well. I believe he was I think he did the Crusade for one. Um, he might have done. He might have done a. Dalek story, or I have to look it up because I'm not sure. But um, you know, he he was a good hand at uh, at historicals, and this one, you know, is basically it's just got the four main cast members and the TARDIS, and so that that's basically the the brief that he had to 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 work with, and the the pre previous story, the the Daleks, ends with the TARDIS hitting something or there's some kind of collision or malfunction and you know that there there's a problem there um uh, this is this is a story where it starts off and you don't know what the hell's going on like if you had never seen the show before and this is the first episode you tuned into think about like you know you're uh you're you're in england in 1964 and you turn this on, it's like the first episode you see, and you see the main characters have been knocked out by something, and they wake up, and they don't know where they are, and they're addressing every, you know, each other very formally, um, trying to remember who each other is. Um, something's affected their memory, and they're like, you know, Ian's like, uh, you're working late, Miss Wright. You know, not realizing they're in the TARDIS, and it takes them a few minutes to really realize that. Um, and, and, you know, it's an interesting premise. So 
the basic story, I'll just line it out. And I'm, I'm not really going to go linear because the story doesn't go linear anyway. Um, but uh, the, the idea is that, and you find out at the end of, of part two, or near the end of part two, that the doctor was trying to get Ian and Barbara back to Earth. Um, so, you know, he, he took them away um, so they wouldn't squeal about uh, what they saw in the TARDIS. But he's like, he's like, fine, okay, you know, I need to take them back. So he hits the fast return switch. I guess thinking that that was going to just be like, you know, reverse and go back to the, the previous, uh, you know, one of the previous places that they, that they had been to. And uh, <laughs> the switch gets stuck because the little, the little spring isn't working right, the little spring that's in it, and it causes havoc and hell, okay? <laughs> um, the, it's, it, the ship is, like, fast returning, but it has nowhere to fast return to, and, um, you know, it leads to, you know, like, hilarity ensues. <laughs> um, but... but and like that's that's the whole thing. Like, but throughout the story, you think that they're they think, you know, the doctor and his companions like they think maybe some invisible entity is like entered the TARDIS and is like um, affecting their their minds. And um, then the the doctor and Susan start to suspect that Ian and Barbara have uh, sabotaged the ship somehow. The doctor's really pissed. He's like, I love the bit where like. Ian's like lying on the floor, having fell, you know, he fell over or something, and then he's like, "What's what's going on?" What's and the doctor's like leaning over him, is like, "You're getting off the ship, Chesterton." He's like, "When now?" <laughs> he's like, like he's like mocking him, you know. But, um, but the characters are are very um, suspicious and paranoid of of one another. Um, Susan is freaking out like every 30 seconds over something, you know, it's like, you know, she's like screaming, oh, grandfather, grandfather. And then like, at one point it was like, you know, oh, we're, we're going to, we're going to turn on the scanner screen to see what's outside. She's like, no, you mustn't, no, you mustn't. And you're like, what, what, oh, you know, where is that coming from? <laughs> it, this episode or this story is kind of like, it's a lot like the naked time. Um, which is an early Star Trek original series episode. Um, and then they did uh, kind of a sequel to it in the early in the next generation called The Naked Now, which was much worse. Uh, the Naked Time's a great episode. But like you're you're always you're always risking some you know some credibility by that early in the series creating a story where everyone's acting out of character. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a, a difficult line to cross, you know, uh, and, uh, the, the naked time does a great job of it. Cause there, that's an episode where, um, you know, they come into contact with this, uh, weird virus and it starts affecting the way everybody, you know, it starts removing their inhibitions and, um, you know, this like a uh, crewman, you know, uh, works out a way to like take over the ship and, um, you know, Spock's emotions are suddenly like he's wearing them on his sleeve and, um, you know, everybody's like ready to snap and, 
the next generation version, everybody just got silly and lustful and uh, that was it, basically, <laughs> you know. Um, but so it, it can go either way. And th this one, I don't think it quite works either. Um, but, uh, you know, because, you know, even though if they're acting out of character, there should be some motivation, you know, like you should be able to see a progression instead of going flipping back and forth. Like Susan is, is uh, paranoid about, you know, Ian and Barbara's motivations and she's acting weird. And then, you know, and then she's got a pair of scissors and, you know, she's like threatening Ian with them. And then she just like, you know, leans over and just like stabs the, the bed that she's, that she's sitting on about 10 times you know, and you're like, what in the hell? And then she sets the scissors down. At that point, someone should have removed the scissors and put them away where she didn't know where they were. But they don't. And shortly thereafter, she has the scissors again. And she's threatening Barbara. And Barbara's like, Susan, why don't you give me back those scissors? <laughs> like, you know. Um, so, uh, basically, and, and then... You know, and then Susan goes into, like, apology mode, and she's apologizing that she and the doctor, had, you know, had been suspicious. And then and then she goes back to being suspicious. So there's there's a lot of flipping back and forth. So if they, you know, if they'd made it more of a steady progression, it might not be as grating. But, um, I, you know, and then, like, the cliffhanger to the to the first episode, um, Ian's, like, trying to strangle the doctor. He's like, where the hell did that come from? You know? He, like, goes into strangle mode, but, like, his heart's not into it. <laughs> so he's kind of like, eh. <laughs> um, so all that's going on, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You want to know what the hell's happening. And then in the, in the second episode, the... You know, like the scanner screen starts putting up like uh, scenes from places that they've been before. Like the Doctor and Susan talk about how uh, you know they they almost lost a TARDIS. Uh, you know, that's the planet Quintus in the fourth universe, which is a an unseen adventure. Um, Big Finish later did a uh, um, a companion chronicle um, about Quintus, and uh, you know, to where you you find out what happened with Quintus, and that's a really weird story. Um, maybe I'll talk about that one sometime. I need to give it another listen, but, um, you know, and, and they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, you know, and they're going back and forth and the doctor's like threatening to throw Ian and Barbara off the ship. And again, it's like a big WTF moment. It's like, what? And, uh, then Barbara starts to figure out, like, she's the one that pieces this thing together. Um, which is, this is this is a this is actually a really, you know, if nobody else really comes out well in this episode, it's definitely Barbara is <laughs> the one because she she figures out she has a line that doesn't. To be fair, it doesn't make sense, but it does lead them to the correct um, conclusion. But she says that time's been taken away from us, so now it's being given back because it's running out. <laughs> You're like, what the hell does that even mean? But we get into this area where you're, you're kind of finding out that the ship kind of have has a mind of its own, which the doctor doesn't seem seem to know. He's like, my ship can't think, you know. And I was like, I'm, you know what? It kind of can actually. Um, 
you know, it's presenting all these images and it's, you know, like clues. Um, which I got to think that a ship that sophisticated should be able to put up like a message, you know, in words on a screen <laughs> so, to explain like your fast return switch is stuck. <laughs> like why, why? <laughs> but you know, it sustains, it sustains the mystery for a while. Um, and then you find out like the power of like the heart of the TARDIS is in the, the console. And I, supposedly every time somebody walks up to the console, um, you know, shit goes down, something bad happens. But it's not consistent. Like, that doesn't always happen in this story. But anyway, so it sounds good anyhow. But they end up finally figuring out that it's, you know, the fast return switch is stuck, and the doctor fixes it, and then everything's fine. You know, the the ship returns to... It, it's It's, you know, where it's supposed to be, um, the way it's supposed to operate. But... There, you know, that leads into a couple of really great scenes, though, and I, I've got to, I've got to commend them for this. Like, there's, there's a couple of really great, like for one thing, um, everything goes black at one point, and William Hartnell basically gets this like soliloquy. You know, he gets to, uh, he's kind of rhapsodizing about, uh, you know, seeing the birth of a solar system, of a sun and its planets, and you know, seeing the and. And Hardo puts so much joy and excitement, just like pure, unbridled excitement. It's like, and it's planets um, into this little scene that it's it's just uh, it's a beautiful little bit, and I really love that. You know, and it's like Ian, Barbara, and Susan kind of just like you know are off to the side, and they they almost kind of like you forget they're there. You know, like they just like disappear. And this bit could be just in the doctor's mind, <laughs> you know, like that's just be um, what he's saying to himself. But we get to witness it, you know, because we're we're the audience and that's that's the way it should go. Um, but that's that's a great, great Hartnell moment. And then, you know, a bit later on, you know, the doctor has said some 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 things to Ian and Barbara uh, when he was suspicious of them and he thought that they had uh sabotage the ship um and he was, he's gonna just throw him right off the ship and you know so he's got to make amends and susan's like you know you said some terrible things to uh to ian and barbara there who she's you know she's up till now she's been calling them mr chesterton and miss Wright, but i think i think there she does use their actual first names and she starts using their first names as they become more familiar and they're not just like you know, it's not like a formal. It's not like a formal school teacher student situation so much anymore. But Ian steps forward. He's like, he's like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, he he forgives pretty easily. You know, he's like, well, that's you know, these people say shit. These things happen. Barbara, not so easily. You know, she's not gonna just. She's not letting this go you know, for out of just nothing. And she just like gets up and walks out of the console room and the doctor and Ian just like, watch her go kind of like women, huh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, and then there's a scene where the doctor, uh, follows Barbara in and 
you know, pretty much kiss his ass to try to, you know, like he's putting on the charm and he's like, you were right about everything. And, um, I, I was wrong to mistrust you guys and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And she's, she's like, you said some terrible things to us. And he's like, I know, I know what the hell. And then, <laughs> and then finally she, you know, they, they've landed in the next place, you know, wherever their next destination is. And, uh, you know, Susan comes in and she's like, she's like, come on out. You know, it's, there's snow, you know, it's like, stuff. you know, she's like starting a snowball fight. <laughs> she throws snow, like a snowball into the TARDIS console, console room, you know, and Barbara throw, throws one back and, um, it, you know, and she's like, Barbara, are, are you, are you coming outside? And she's like, she kind of looks at the doctor's like, yes, you know, so, and then it's like, she goes like arm in arm with, uh, with the doctor um, you know, heading into the, back to the console room. Um, the very end, you've got you see Susan kneeling down in the snow, and she's looking up at the the scanner screen from outside and and going, "Look, grandfather, there's there's a giant footprint." And then we, you know, end the episode, and it goes to uh, the title of "The Roof of the World." And uh, so, I, I, you know, the, the story. I mean. Uh, you could say it's greater than the sum of its parts, but that's just because the parts are not fitting together very well at all. But there are some random great scenes to it. And it, it does kind of display how far the characters have come since the start of the series, you know, in the, just in these 13 episodes. How far they've come in uh, understanding each other and, you know, becoming like a unit together. Um, and the you know the the special effects are pretty good for that time. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know it, the the set is kind of rackety. I mean, the, you know, that's a general comment about the uh, '60s Doctor Who. But uh, you know, they had a low budget and all this stuff. But um, they did they did well with what they had. So it's it's <sighs> concluding. It's definitely not my favorite episode by or story by any means um i think i could have done much it could have done much better but uh you know with the resources and the lack of time that they had they probably did about as best as they could um however i i'm teetering like in my head right now i'm teetering um between different scores to give this and i was gonna go with a four out of ten because you know because that's just how disgruntled that first episode makes me, but I think I am going to bump it up to a five. Like I'm going to give it a five out of 10, um, uh, you know, which sounds like, okay, well, it's still average, you know, but there are so many great Doctor Who episodes, Doctor Who stories, and this is just not one of them. <laughs> so, but it, it's, I mean, it's, it's got a, the second episode has a certain charm in its second half. Um, so and that's that's enough to bring it up from a four up to a five in my opinion. So still the lowest rated of the three stories that um, I've covered so far. But uh, you know, I mean, it is it is worth a look. Just know that it's not going to make a hell of a lot of sense. And and just, also just oh, and the fact that the doctor has to explain to Susan how a spring works. Like she's from a, an advanced civilization. 
uh, you know, and she, but she does not understand. She's like, you know, it's it's enough for him to say, look, you know, the spring got stuck, you know, the fast return switch got stuck, so the fault locator was not, it wasn't registering that there was anything wrong, but we could see that. But he goes through this whole like science lesson, and I think it's really just because that way, that's like the uh, bringing the education um, component into the story a little bit. Um, they had to do, you know, they, they had to show like, uh, uh, you know, they, they wanted to teach the kids something. So they teach the kids how, how a freaking spring works. <laughs> so, and just the fact that that, that little thing could have caused such a big problem, um, uh, you know, and the, you know, the TARDIS, like the TARDIS wouldn't, like, there's no way that it could make the, the spring, unstuck on its own it could conjure up all these images on the screen it could you know do these other clues and stuff but like it, it could not fix that situation on its own so it, it's kind of iffy um it doesn't really make a lot of sense and it's sort of condescending to uh susan's character as well you know I, I, so so but yeah i'm i'm gonna give it a five out of ten um, that's, that's good enough for this one. So our next story is called Marco Polo. Um, and, uh, it's the first pure historical Doctor Who story. Like we had an unearthly child and that was, you know, that was set in the prehistoric times and, you know, so that, that, but it, it wasn't directly entirely, it was like pseudo historical. So, but I would, you know, this is like a direct, well, it's a prehistorical, really. <laughs> but this one coming up, Marco Polo, is a seven-parter. Um, we'll get into the whole, in the next episode, we'll get into the whole issue about uh, missing episodes. Because so far, the first 13 episodes are intact in the archives. But the BBC scrapped a lot of their uh, older episodes to make shelf room for more tapes, and which is now seen as a terrible error. Um, it was like very um, short-sighted. I mean, I guess they, they wouldn't have known, but you think, I don't know. Anyway, so, um, but, uh, so yeah, the next story will be Marco Polo. That's the one that we'll be covering next time. Um, and in order to review the missing episodes, um, there was a company called Loose Cannon that made um, reconstructions back like in the oh in the nineties and the two thousands uh, of miss of the missing Doctor Who episodes. They like um, gathered up any telesnaps, which are like you know pictures that fans took of the screen um, at the time of the broadcast. Um, they used the audio because the audio exists from all of them because certain fans uh, you know did home recordings of the stories um and they any anything else that they can put together anything else that they can uh come up with they make little special effects and stuff like that to try to reconstruct the stories the best they can and of of the ones i've seen i've seen several but the marco polo one is just about the best because th they really didn't have much to go on and they turned it into something beautiful and they even got um, the actor from the original series who played Marco Polo, I think his name is Mark Eden, 
they even got him to film like an introduction and stuff. So, um, and that stuff is on YouTube now. Um, so I'll talk more about that next time and, uh, I'll be watching the, the episodes on YouTube. I've got a little, I found the playlist and it's ready to go. So, um, that's all that needs to be said, uh, for this episode. So until next time, uh, go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I'm not, no shit. See, I'm trying to start a new, um, closing statement and uh, I messed up the line. Let me try it again. Until next time, go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I'm mistaken. What is it? Hang on. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the knot should be in there. Okay. Until next time, go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I'm not mistaken in mine.